You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we're going to mix it up a little bit today. We're going to do something very different because it's, uh, it's a bye week, so why not? Um, we haven't really touched on it. It is getting to be the end of the year, so it's worth exploring. Um, plus, it's Saturday, so we have college football today, so it um, gives you something to maybe want to watch today. But I want to talk about the 2022 NFL Draft as it pertains to the Packers. And it's, it's going to be sort of twofold. Um, and we're going to do these things at the same time. We're going to go position by position because I'm, uh, you know, that way. Talk about the relevance of it for the Green Bay Packers. You know, for example, quarterback. What are the odds we get a quarterback? Why we would, why we wouldn't, et cetera, et cetera. And then dig into the prospects. Primarily just looking at the top prospects, where they're kind of ranked right now, um, kind of look at some of their attributes, how they're doing this year, maybe just sort of explore it, see if there's any good fits. You get the idea. Um, just some real quick news and notes. Um, I guess Adrian Peterson may be playing. It's not that interesting, but we talked about him a lot yesterday. So um, I think a lot of people have interest in that, so keep an eye on that. That is a 3 o'clock game. By the way, I never say what the second thing. I, I always get correct. It's actually 325, and that's just Central. We don't all live in Central time, you know. Dude, it's 12, 3, and the late game. That's it. And then there's Monday, Thursday. Family does that to me all the time. What time is the Packer game? It's a 3 o'clock game. Then it's like, oh, isn't it 3 o'clock? Isn't the game on? No, it's not at 3 o'clock. It's just the 3 o'clock game. I don't know if it's 305, 325, 330. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Three-something. Um... Vikings, Lions, I don't see a ton of super relevant information. Seems like a bunch of Vikings are coming back. Dalvin Cook is still out. Um, So the only real exciting thing here, because I still don't think there's very much chance for Detroit, is that it could be a bit of a Jamal Williams game with DeAndre Swift also being out. The top running backs for each team are out. I don't know, man, maybe. Probably not, though. But it's, it's something. I'm trying to find some kind of good that could come out of that game. Also, uh, good news, bad news here with the Bears. Uh, good news because... You know, it's, it's bad news for the Bears, but that also means it's good news for the Cardinals, which is bad news. So, good news, bad news. Also, <laughs> there's good news, bad news within the good news, bad news. Uh, Justin Fields is out, which is bad news for the Bears because their starting quarterback is out, but good news because their backup is better than their starter. So, that's good news because it gives the Bears a better chance, which is, I don't know. But Andy Dalton's um, going to be playing again. But... More bad news for the Bears. Allen Robinson is doubtful, but then again, Allen Robinson hasn't really been that good this year. <clears throat> Justin Fields and Allen Robinson are out, so there you go. That's the news. I'll let you decipher what it what it means. On the flip side, though, this is I mean, this is 
quite big. Um, obviously, the, the issues with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are not long-term sustainable, but the issue isn't necessarily, are the Cardinals better than the Packers? We already beat the Cardinals. You know, we know that they're a tough opponent. All we need is for them to drop games so we can catch them. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins right now are still game-time decisions. I would guess that at the very least, Kyler Murray plays. DeAndre Hopkins has a high ankle sprain, so I don't exactly know. And it's one of those situations where it's like, well, it's the Bears, maybe we can rest them. But if you lose to the Bears, that's bad. You know, and for all the reasons we talked about yesterday, you can't drop a game. But um, we'll see, because if Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins don't play, there's not the worst possibility in the world that the Bears have a chance. You never know. I don't know. But um, definitely going to be very, very interesting to track that tomorrow. Um, We talked a lot about Antonio Brown and his suspension, mostly to correct people who are saying things that are weird, but uh, not necessarily in terms of how much this negatively impacts the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that are already kind of struggling. And and struggling is kind of relative. I mean, they're one of the better teams in football, but they're dropping games that they shouldn't. More importantly, in my opinion, they're dropping games that they wouldn't have last year. And that's the most important thing to me. Everybody loses games sometimes. They might even lose fluky games, but they're not showing themselves to be this just dominant force. Every year, there's teams that just seem to be a force. Right now, as I've said, it feels like it's the Patriots, which makes me sick to say. But they're the only team right now where it's like, dude, I just, they just, I don't, I don't know what to do. The Packers, honestly, if it wasn't for the slight bit of up and down that they seem to maybe barely be coming out of, you could almost say the Packers are one of those teams. But the fact of the matter is, the defense has been kind of not great the last two weeks. I mean, just from a standpoint of points, they've given up like 30-some-odd points the last two weeks. 28, whatever. The point is, two of the three highest-scoring games against the Packers have been the last two weeks. So what we need to see is the offense and the defense clicking at the same time, and I don't know that we've necessarily seen that, right? Seattle Seahawks, the offense wasn't there. Uh, Chiefs, the offense wasn't there. Arizona... 24 points, that's not exactly a dominant performance. Maybe against their defense, fine, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Washington, the offense wasn't there. Chicago, the offense wasn't there. Cincinnati, you know, the the offense just wasn't there pretty much ever. And then San Francisco, they got to 30, but we allowed 28. The the only game, I guess, would be Detroit, 35-17. So, um, yeah, Patriots, I guess. Anyways, get off that rabbit hole. Get off the hole. Get out of the hole. Get it. Never mind. Forget it. Nope. Antonio Brown, ladies and gentlemen. What about that guy, right? It's crazy. Crazy stuff. <laughs> yay, yay. You know, one of the funny things about PFF is when you search for names, you realize, especially in college, because there's 60 billion players, how many people have the exact same name? There are two wide receivers by the name of Antonio Brown in the NFL, and Tampa Bay has an Antonio Brown and an Antonio Bryant, also a wide receiver. Anyways, Antonio Brown, wide receiver, Tampa Bay. Um, First of all, a lot of people would probably point out, well, he's been out for a while anyways. No, I get that. The interesting part about it is, though, this is from November 25th. Bruce Arians hopeful Antonio Brown will return next week for the Buccaneers. He was supposed to be back this week to play. Instead, he's suspended. Antonio Brown which is still unfortunate because he's not suspended for the whole year. He's suspended for, I think, three weeks. But he is one of the highest-graded receivers in football, 87.4 overall grade. In one, two, three, four, five games, he had 418 yards and four touchdowns. That is um, pretty ridiculous. 
in a 17-game season, that would put him at 1,411 yards and about 14 touchdowns. Obviously, he's been out all season, but that's that's sort of the pace he's on, which I guess I guess is pretty standard for Antonio Brown. I mean, obviously, he didn't do that in New England or Tampa last year, having not really played as much. Anyways, point is, leaving aside the part where Antonio Brown just should not be in the NFL anymore, and I don't mean because he faked a vaccine card, I just mean that's sort of the cherry on top at this point. He shouldn't have been in the NFL prior to that. He's just a bad person. I mean, we, we know that. He's, he's first of all, and I know you're not supposed to talk about people's mental health or whatever, dude's got issues. And I'm sorry, I think sometimes we should talk about people's mental health. I think it probably would have helped us a little bit with that Michigan situation, which I don't know a ton about, but I've heard little bits and pieces. It sounds like that's a situation where we should have had a discussion about that kid's mental health instead of ignoring it. Antonio Brown is a psychopath. He's deranged. And his mental illness has hurt lots of people. He's assaulted people in horrific ways. He almost killed, I believe it was a child, throwing furniture out of his window. So yeah, a a fake vaccine card is very low on the list of things that he's done that's horrible. But if we're going to give him a three-game suspension for that, can we just say enough is enough? Or is he just too good of a football player and too high profile and we just don't want to do that? Anyways, like I said, leaving that aside, (laughs) he's still a very good wide receiver. And with Tom Brady, he's been phenomenal. And um, when he comes back, there may be heck to pay for everybody. But here's the interesting part about it. He's going to come back against Carolina, the Jets, and the Panthers, I believe. They're going to win those games anyways. They're going to miss him for Atlanta, Buffalo, and New Orleans. Now, they'll probably still beat Atlanta and New Orleans. Buffalo is going to be the real tough one. But even still, I'm not positive that we can completely count out Atlanta and New Orleans. As far as the Rams, it's another game we we really would like the Rams to lose, but they probably won't. Um, The only slightly interesting thing about that is Odell Beckham, who was massively underwhelmed, is now injured. He's probably going to play, but it just seems like, uh, well, I mean, this happens all the time, but it seems like another situation where a big-name player was supposed to just revolutionize the franchise, and it just hasn't really done anything. It's not to say he won't have an occasional big game, but... Just understand, if he has a big game and you try to throw that back in my face, I'm going to demonstrate to you how MVS has big games, how Lazard has big games, how Mercedes Lewis has had a couple big games. I mean, so what? Randall Cobb has had two big games so far this season. So Odell Beckham has some catching up to do to Randall Cobb. No disrespect to Randall Cobb, but give me a break. Anyways, I think those are the only games that I super care about. I'm interested in a few other games, but I'm not going to waste time looking at injuries and whatnot. That's just kind of where we're at with those games. But anyways, why don't we get into it? We'll start with the offense, um, and we'll work our way through starting with quarterback. Would the Packers ever take a quarterback? That is kind of a big question. My hunch says no. Um, Obviously, this starts at the point in which we assume that Aaron Rodgers leaves, and I'm not assuming that. I'm just trying to parse through if, when, how. If Aaron Rodgers stays, And we have Rodgers, we have Love, and we move on. I'm sure there are some fans that say, well, we watched him that one game and he wasn't impressive, so Love is bad, so we should find a replacement. Probably not many, because the people that hate Love are also the people that would never want to take another first-round quarterback, um, like ever. They want us to sign Aaron Rodgers until he's 70, and his limbs are falling off. um, And then maybe two, three years after he's gone, we can consider taking a quarterback. Um... But even even so, if he leaves, I don't think the Packers are as down on love as um, as the fans are. I, I do think there's concern 
Um, I think the Packers know he's not ready. I don't know for sure if they know that he can't become better. There seems to be a very big hesitancy about Jordan Love playing. And um, I definitely understand the concerns of fans saying, look, it's been kind of a long time. And I know he hasn't had a lot of, you know, starter reps or anything, but have you done nothing to get this so-called future quarterback up to speed and uh, ready to play? Or are we just going to wing it and be bad for a couple of years and hope that he figures it out? Even when uh, Rodgers went down, Matt LaFleur at the podium was basically like, yeah, dude, I, I don't know. It's not going to be great. That was easily the vibe he gave out. So there is a slight chance that maybe somewhere along the line, the Packers just kind of figured out this is not going to work. But I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think they're going to want to give him time. So I don't really see an early swing at a quarterback. Um, if they do, then they, they either they have given up on love or they just have somebody that they really, 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 really like, kind of like Jordan Love, that falls into their lap and they're like, look, we just got to, we really think this guy could be the future. We're just going to take him and uh, hope that one of these guys can be great. Interesting thing about it, this was supposedly a really strong quarterback class, uh, but it has completely fallen apart. The only guy that's even seen as a slightly competent quarterback, according to the consensus big board, is my guy, Matt Corral, the guy that I've been pumping up for two years or a year, either way, year and a half. Um, but he, even he is, again, this is a consensus big board. He is seventh. Generally, if you have a really, really, really good quarterback, he's going to be probably number one, unless there's some elite pass rusher, which I don't even know if there's that, but Matt Corral is kind of that guy. Is he going to fall to the Packers? I really don't think so. And even if he did, as much as I like him, my biggest concern with him, and now that he's become really popular, I'm starting to see flaws in him because my brain's broken and I just can, I refuse to agree with anybody about anything. His style of play is so anti-NFL. From what I can tell, he doesn't have footwork, not bad footwork. He just doesn't have it. They snap the ball. He stands perfectly still. There's no drop. There's no movement whatsoever. He stands there, and then I've never... It trips me out watching. Like, dude, why are you just standing still and just throwing the football? It's so weird. Um, It's also a very heavily scheme-based offense and everything else over at Ole Miss. I love Matt Corral. I I want the... the, So, just to give you a backstory, and I'm sure I've told this a hundred times, but the reason I started to like Matt Corral, I was doing a mock draft. It was my very first ever mock draft for the 2021 season, Somebody had done a big board, or I was compiling my big board, and somebody had Matt Corral really, really high. I didn't realize that the guy wasn't even a starter and that he wasn't on anybody else's radar. Somebody out there in the world, so I'm, I'm at best second on Matt Corral, had him really high. And so I just aggregated this board and threw it together, and he was high on my list because I'm just pulling from all these other boards. And so I looked at the top quarterbacks, and I watched them, Justin Fields and Matt Corral, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Justin Fields was number one at the time because he was considered before things changed to be the consensus number one, whatever. Or no, it had to be Trevor, and then and then Justin Fields was a number two, and whatever. But I watched, and I'm like, dude, I you know, I think Matt Corral's my favorite. <laughs> because, and granted, I was watching just like their highlights or whatever, so that's kind of stupid, but I mean, it was, it was like, it was like May, all right? Cut me some slack. But the throws he made were, I mean, he was Pat Mahomes. And, th- and that's sort of the standard. You're, you, everybody's looking for the next sort of Pat Mahomes kind of, a, uh, kind of a guy. Those are the top quarterbacks. I didn't see Pat Mahomes with Justin Fields. Yes, he can run. Yes, he can throw. Trevor Lawrence. Yes, he can run. Yes, he can throw. That's not what makes you Justin Fe- or uh, <laughs> Yikes. That's not what makes you... Um, no, I forgot his name. It's not what makes you Aaron Rodgers. Okay? We'll just go with Aaron Rodgers. 
One play in particular, he's his ability to throw on the run is sort of the biggest thing, but he's rolling to his right. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to try to find it, and I will post it on uh, Patreon if I can remember. I'm going to YouTube uh, Matt Corral right now, so that'll be my reminder later. Problem is, now that he's popular, there's probably 50,000 Matt Corral highlight videos, so I'm not going to find that one. I guess i got to find one from over a year ago. No, if I can't find that one, I found another one. Just rolling to his right off his back foot, and it is just an absolute dime. If you watch his highlights, the thing with Matt Corral is, and it's part of the issue I have with highlights, is everybody's just looking for stuff that I really don't care about. It's either him running or him throwing a 50-yard bomb, right? Those are like the flashy thing. I don't care. There aren't any college quarterbacks that can't throw a 50-yard pass to a wide-open guy. That's not interesting to me. And yeah, he can run, and I do like how he runs, like a lot. But really, for me, it's it's these throws that make him just remarkable. But um, even if, let's say something really weird happened, which it wouldn't, because the problem is there's there's just not a lot of quarterbacks, so these guys are going to go way too early. Because there are some desperate teams that will reach on quarterbacks. So Matt Corral is currently ranked 7th. He'll probably go, like, 1st or 2nd. Um, then you got guys like Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, who was considered the number one for a long time and completely fell off. Uh, Carson Strong, those guys ranked 21st, 25th, 28th, 32nd. Um, 46th is Desmond Ritter. I'm trying to find the one guy. Oh, there he is. Slovis, which cracks me up because, and again, everybody trashes PFF. All these predictions I make, 90% of them that I'm correct about, it's because I'm just looking at PFF. I said, I don't get it. This guy's not good. People got mad at me. Granted, they didn't like him as much either, but I'm like, dude, this guy is, he's not a first-round pick, period. He is now sitting at 170. I said that. He was the, he was number two overall, not just the number two quarterback. It was, I think, number one, number one overall player was Sam Howell. Number two was uh, Slovis, Kedon Slovis, or however you say his name. And I'm like, nope, nope, that dude doesn't belong. And I've been pumping up Matt Corral. He's the number one guy. He's the number one guy. He's the top guy. Here we are. But that wasn't because of PFF. I watched him myself. But out of these guys, where would the Packers want? And that's kind of interesting. And I may have to watch a little bit of that. I shouldn't spend too much time because it's kind of interesting. What does, in a perfect world, if Matt LaFleur could build a quarterback, what would he be? I kind of think he'd be like Jordan Love, which my assessment of Matt Corral is that he's a much better version of Jordan Love. He's got a great deep ball. He can take off and run, but it's these off-platform throws and his ability to just kind of stay within the system that I really, really like about him. And that's exactly how I felt about Jordan Love, but Mackerel is just a lot better at all of every single facet. He's better at the deep ball. He's better within the system, the quick timing throws. He's way better off platform, off your back foot. And he's a better runner than uh, Jordan Love is, which is why I feel like if he was available, maybe at a, in a different situation, they'd go for it. But again, the problem is I think Matt Corral is too much of a project, and so they don't want Project Jordan Love and Project Matt Corral when they have a football team without a quarterback. But outside of that, I, I just, for example, mobile quarterbacks have become very, very important, right? Guys like uh, Lamar, Kyler Murray. But would they want to go in that direction? Um, there have to be some some coaches that look at that and go, they're just too they're too valuable, and I don't want them having a short lifespan because they're running so much. Especially, you know, when you look at guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, the only reason they're playing until they're 40 is because it's their mind and their arm that that make them good quarterbacks. It's not their legs. Quarterbacks whose, you know, their primary or even 50% of what makes them great is their legs. When you get older and you don't have that anymore, then now you have to become a pocket passer, but you've never been, you're just not going to be a very good quarterback anymore. You know, I, I, 
unless you can learn to become that, which is why I'm really impressed with... Um, why can I not remember? It's not Christian Kirk. It's Kyler Murray. Good Lord. But the biggest thing with Kyler is that it's it's not his running. In fact, he graded quite poorly as a runner. And I said that going into our game with him. And everybody tried to trash me. But, oh, yeah, sure. I guess we shouldn't be scared. He's one of the fastest. So what? He didn't do anything with his feet. Nothing with his legs against us. But he's still a really good pocket passer. Lamar, I don't know. If you took his legs away entirely, how good would he be? I don't think he'd be very good. They're a running team that loves to run the ball, and he is the mostly deadly because he runs. It keeps defenses on their toes. I don't know. So I guess that's kind of the hard part with looking at some of these quarterbacks. Um, first of all, I don't know how much I would want to look at a first-round quarterback because I just don't see a scenario in which we do that. Um, and I don't really have a profile of a, of a quarterback to say, let's find a late-round guy that makes sense as a backup. Um, so I, I, I guess we'll kind of just... We'll highlight the guys in the first round, and you can do whatever you want with that information. But uh, Malik Willis is extremely popular. He's had some ups and some downs. He's also a small school guy, so you really shouldn't have downs when you're a small school guy. That's kind of the issue with Jordan Love and why he fell. You don't really... I mean, it's not it's not Liberty. But, um, I mean, when he started off, basically through week six, he was a, a on-fire quarterback. But he played against Louisiana Monroe, which is some garbage team. He had a 39 passing grade. Uh, week 10 against Ole Miss, so that was sort of the battle of the quarterbacks, and uh, obviously, without any question, Matt Corral was the better quarterback in that game. Um, he was he had a 41 passing grade, and then Louisiana Lafayette, he had a 45 passing grade. So this is becoming way, way too common. Also interspersed between years, he's at a 66, 69, 67, 68 passing grades, but he's got, you know, an 83, 80, 91, 91, 80 mixed in. So high highs and low lows. But again, you're playing, I mean, team, I don't even know who some of these teams are. Campbell? I don't know who Campbell is. Um, playing Troy, Dominion, uh, UAB, again, Middle Tennessee, North Texas, UMass. These are not really good teams, right? I mean, Ole Miss is, is the only one that I can identify that's like, all right, that's a legit team. And so he has a 75 overall passing grade and a 93 running grade. He's 6'1", 215, and he can run like nobody's business, but I just, you know, somebody's gonna take somebody's gonna take him because he's the next Kyler Murray. You know, granted, he's not Kyler Murray. Uh, he doesn't have the ability of Kyler Murray, but they're gonna see that. He's not a small dude. Jeez, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just peeking some of his highlights, dude. This guy's he's gonna go early. I know he's having a bit of a of a. He, he's kind of he's having a rough patch. But he's he he will not. There's no way he falls out of the first round, especially with such a weak class. I bet he goes. I wouldn't be surprised if it's top ten, to be honest. He's listed at 21st overall on the consensus board, but his ability to run and then you know again you watch some of his highlights, dude. Back foot dimes. I mean, just the, stuff like that is. They're gonna overlook the bad and just say, well, we're gonna work on the mental part of the game and all that stuff. Question is, would the Packers if he falls? And again, I just I don't really see it. Kenny Pickett is your um, standard pocket passer. I'm trying to think who this would be in relation to, and, and you know, he, this is working against him because even, you know, guys that are passers, they can move. Um, Josh Allen has some wheels. Uh, if you look at even this, this, I mean, Mac Jones, I guess, would be the one comparison. Uh, and that's actually not a bad comparison. The only difference is Mac Jones was good his entire college career, Kenny Pickett right now is a 92 overall grade. That's about probably where Mac Jones was. 
the issue is he's played there for five years, 58, 60, 75, 70, 92. So, I mean, if, if you believe, and Mac Jones is, is going to be his salvation here, because if, if they're watching Mac and saying, look, all these flashy players, they all got the back shoulder throws, they, they all got the, I shouldn't say back shoulder, but off the back foot shoulder uh, throws, they can all run. But the one guy that, that's, you know, he's got a pot belly, he's a court, pocket quarterback, he's the best rookie, he's the only rookie that can do anything this year. That might work out well for Kenny Pickett, because the dude can't run. But he's thrown for 4,055 yards, has 40 touchdowns and seven interceptions, playing for Pitt. And that's the other thing. I mean, Justin Fields was kind of, I guess, similar, and and Mac Jones, but they play for big quarterbacks. I'm not saying Justin in terms of rushing, but in terms of statistics with tons of touchdowns, very few interceptions, et cetera, really highly graded. But they don't really have, I mean, they got one really good wide receiver, um, Jordan Addison. Aside from that, he doesn't have a lot of weapons to work with. Maybe Gavin Bartholomew, the tight end. I don't know. Sam Howell, I think, is sort of your old school, new school guy. Sort of like your your Aaron Rodgers, I guess. He's not Ben Roethlisberger. He's not stuck in the mud. He's actually a fairly good runner, but he's not blazing fast. He is a quarterback first and foremost, although he has fallen off this year. His passing grades went 83, 91, 76. But his rushing grades went 53, 71, and 90.9. So he's kind of killing him with his legs right now, but the the quarterbacking aspect has started to to drift. But at 6'1", 220, he's going to be seen primarily as a pocket uh, passer that can run. And I kind of feel like these are, although the, I don't want to say run first, but really dynamic runners are becoming more popular, I think there's still a lot of teams that are looking for the Sam Howells, um, for the Matt Corrals even, that can be really dangerous with their legs, but you're still primarily a quarterback, right? If, if we design like a run for you, cool. If things break down and you're able to take off and run, cool. It's a it's a nice dynamic to have, but I don't want you to be a runner. I don't want you to have to split your brain in half and try to figure out how to run and how to pass on the same play. Passing is hard enough as it is. And then uh, Carson Strong out of Nevada is maybe the worst rushing quarterback in all of football, which is why I struggle to see him um, I, I guess I shouldn't say I struggle. He's, he's a, a great thrower of the football, but he plays for Nevada. And I know, you know, don't scout the helmet. Okay, but you kind of do anyways. Even if it's not because of, you know, where you're playing necessarily, but who you're playing, there's a lot of reasons why you probably will anyways. You need to be able to do things above and beyond. And so getting a 90 overall grade playing against, you know, Fresno State probably not quite as impressive as getting a uh, 90 overall grade against Georgia. They're different. But his 46 overall rushing grade, um, literally he has not had a single good grade running the ball ever. His passing grades over three years, 65, 85, and 90. Rushing grades, 46, 49, 46. So um, 6, 4, 2, 15, he's a, he's a giant human being. He's a, uh, he's, he's, he's just a, he's a mortar, right? He's just going to sit there and lob bombs. I just have a hard time believing that's going to be very desirable in the NFL. Nevada, 6-4 is great, but it, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Again, I kind of said this about Josh Allen, but Josh Allen can run. This dude can't. Anyways, running backs, um, I don't think, I don't know. First of all, the highest ranked running back is 42nd overall, so there really aren't any first round guys. Um, obviously, there are a lot of running backs that people really like. Isaiah Spiller is seen as the top guy out of Texas A&M. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think 
I think I kind of liked Brees Hall out of Iowa State. I'm trying to remember who it was that I liked. It's a long time ago, the last time I even really started watching, quote unquote, I hate to even say watching film on them because it's barely qualifies as that. But I probably should start because I'm I'm actually paying for footage of these guys and I don't <laughs> I don't use it. I do think that there's reason to assume that running back um, <clears throat> could be on the list of things Packers the Packers are interested in. Kylan Hill seemed to be somewhat of a disappointment once we got to the regular season. I know there was a ton of hype about him. Um, Patrick Taylor seems fine, but really it's it's just become a duo. It's it's really just Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. And um, you know I don't want to put Aaron Jones down, but we all know the track record of guys that get paid. Guys that get paid. Pretty much every single time, Christian McCaffrey, um, all of them, pretty much immediately after they get paid, something happens and you kind of just say, see, you shouldn't have paid him. Christian McCaffrey's hurt again. Uh, Derrick Henry is out on IR. Aaron Jones is hurt and has been pretty much the RB2 on this team all year. Not necessarily in terms of, of snap counts, but in terms of who's been the better running back. It's been A.J. Dillon pretty much all year. He's been a better runner by far all year, and he's been at least as good as a receiver all year. Again, I'm not trying to put him down, but when you factor in the amount of money he's being paid, I can't, I wouldn't be too shocked if the Packers end up moving on from Aaron Jones when they first get an opportunity. So with that being said, I think 2022, he'll still be around. Um, His dead cap hit would be, uh, we would have a negative cap savings. It's only going to be $9 million. In 2023, though, he's going to be 29 years old. Um, he's already had several injuries. Who knows how many more he'll have by the time we get to 2023. Again, 29 years old, and his cap hit is $19 million. We would save 12.7 by moving on. I think Aaron Jones will be here one more year, and he's gone. That's what I believe will be the case with Aaron Jones. So, you know, I think a lot of people would look at that and say, well, why do we have to get a, a new guy this year? We can get a new guy in 2022 or 2023. Well, you just you take them if they're available, you're looking at the long-term picture. I think you see A.J. Dillon as your top guy, but you want to find an Aaron Jones, and you understand that they're probably not going to be elite their first year. Are you going to take a guy in the first round? Probably not, if there's even one available. Maybe not even second or third, but, you know, maybe maybe third, fourth, fifth-ish range. You start looking. And so the, you know, the top guys that are maybe second-round prospects, Isaiah Spiller, 42nd overall, Kenneth Walker, uh, Michigan State is 48th. Then you go down to Kyron Williams, 61st, and Brees Hall is 64th. But that's sort of second roundish. If you look at the Packers and where they have selections, as of where we are right now in the third round, it would be like the 94th overall pick. Man, there are just not a lot of running backs. So af- after that, Brees Hall is 64th. Zach Carb- uh, Carbonette is 69th. Then it drops to 121. So there's just not a lot of running backs. But we know what we're looking for. We're looking for a guy that is more of a, first of all, he's his own guy because that's a requirement for our system. But he doesn't necessarily have to be small, but you're looking for a a, a well-rounded back because the Packers don't like guys that just do one thing. So you got to do everything, but you lean more third down. So for example, the, the first guy on this list that kind of makes sense without being too early would be Brian Robinson in Alabama. Absolutely not. Brian Robinson in Alabama would be more like A.J. Dillon. 6'1", 225, which I know he, that's not quite A.J. Dillon size, but that's, for a normal running back, that's a hammer. And he's not a good receiver, decent blocker, but no, that's not what we want. I think one guy that kind of makes sense here would be uh, Rashad White. Rashad? Rashad? I don't know. It's C-H, but we'll call him Rashad White. Uh, Arizona State. 
He's six foot two, two ten, so he's not small. And, and remember, that's that's big for Brian Gutekunst. He doesn't like small guys because they get hurt. And that's even true of Aaron Jones, right? Aaron Jones is a smaller guy, he gets hurt. But if you can find a guy that can do all these things at six two, two ten, he has a ninety overall rushing grade. He has a ninety overall receiving grade. Not the greatest blocker in the world, but he has he, he catches ninety percent of the passes thrown at him. Forty three of forty eight for four hundred and fifty six yards and a touchdown. That's just receiving ten point six yards per reception. 113.2 passer rating when targeted. He's only had one contested catch and he came down with it, so 100%. Most of his receptions do come out of the backfield, but 12% have been in the slot, 5% have been out wide, so he's, he is used to being split out and running routes and those kinds of things. And again, none of that even includes his running ability. He has exactly 1,000 yards on the season so far, 5.5 yards per attempt, 15 touchdowns, only one fumble. He's got a great fumbling grade, which is to say he's got great, he doesn't drop the ball. Uh, 90 elusiveness grade, which I still haven't really figured out how that works. 3.38 yards after contact, which is another big metric, because if you look at 5.5 yards per attempt, it's like, all right, well, it doesn't tell me about his offensive line and all that kind of stuff. After attempt is, it kind of tells you how much space he has. So between 3.38 and 5.5 is how much distance his offensive line creates. What does he create after that? 3.38 yards is a lot. 44 missed tackles forced so far on the season. 24 carries over 10 yards, uh, primarily a zone guy, 111 compared to 70 gap runs. <sighs> I really should stop watching all these highlights because <laughs> do that on my own time. In fact, I tell you what, we're only going to be able to do offense today because we're already a half hour into the, did I, did we take a break yet? We got to take a break. I get, I get so, it's like, it really does feel like you guys are just like sitting down here and we're just talking about this and looking at some stuff together. It's like, no, they're just listening on a, it's a podcast, dude. Fine. Anyways, we're going to call that my guy. Um, I did just watch a few minutes of, of him, which I need to stop doing. But um, he's not, I don't know. We'll worry about giving my evaluations on players later. But based on just statistics and grades and whatnot, it worked for me. We'll go with that guy. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? We'll plan on ripping through the offense at a slightly faster clip, which we both know is not actually going to happen. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Um... If I do, and I'm not making any promises, but if I do any kind of uh, draft-related content, videos, any of those kinds of things, that's all going to be over on Patreon. Uh, Those are considered extras, so that'll be at the $5 tier. Make sure you're actually on the tier and not just donating. But that's where uh, you see all the extras, which haven't been a lot of extras lately, but it's been been a hectic week and whatnot. We'll see. If I get stuck down here watching some of this, I might as well record a little bit. But uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited. 
about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Might as well start off with this. Um, as of right now, looking at the draft order, uh, the Green Bay Packers, they have 30th with uh, Baltimore and Arizona ahead of us, which makes sense. I mean, Arizona is ahead of us, and Baltimore would be the AFC team that would go. We would be the second NFC team. Uh, that would give us a pick at 30, a pick at 62, a pick at 94. They don't have the obvious um, whatchamacallits yet. Oh, they do. They have some of those. That's weird. Anyways, a pick at 132, a pick at 136, a pick at 171. We don't have a sixth-round pick. And then in the seventh round, 225, 248, and 256. I hate that we accumulate seventh-round picks. Nobody cares about seventh-round picks. But that's what we've got right now. Getting to something that is a little bit more interesting, wide receiver. Uh, This is something that was considered a stacked group. It is still considered a stacked group, but it's, there's not a lot of consensus at all. Uh, I just saw recently somebody on Twitter was, you know, who's your top wide receiver prospect? Most people, I think, had Garrett Wilson, who is the consensus number one right now out of Ohio State. Um, but after that, I mean, not even after that, some people had other guy, Drake London, a lot of people really, really like. Um, Traylon Burks, I saw a lot of people say they really like. One person said Chris Olave, and most people kind of laughed at him. However, he is the consensus number two on this list. So the two top prospects are both Ohio State, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. But the first-round prospects as they sit, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State at 10 overall, Chris Olave at 15 overall, Traylon Burks, Arkansas, 19 overall, which is, uh, according to the consensus mock drafts, that's who they have the Packers taking in the first round. Drake London out of uh, USC. Jahan Dotson at 31 overall, and then Jamison Williams out of Alabama is very close at 33 overall. So we've got one, two, we got six prospects that are roughly first round prospects. After that, it drops to 45 overall, David Bell. Um, but you've got, I mean, even, you know, we know how good some of these second round guys would be, especially for the Packers. George Pickens, he's got a lot of hype. He's at 50 overall. John Mechie out of Alabama, 53. So, I mean, there's a, there's a big pile of guys here. Um, trying to think the best way to go about that. I think the, first of all, what are the odds the Packers take a wide receiver? I think it's quite high. And again, I think a lot of people look at it and say, no, the Packers don't do that. I, I don't think the Packers have hard and fast rules, especially in terms of we don't draft these players. They may have hard and fast rules in terms of value, but at the end of the day, 
it just comes down to what is the best decision for us right now. In other words, is it impossible they would take a linebacker in the first round? No. But I think generally they have linebackers as a lower priority, and I think they generally find less players that fit the criteria that the Packers would have for a guy that's good enough to be a first-round linebacker. Um, So essentially what I think would have to happen is, because things are broken down into tiers, you'd have to have a linebacker pretty much by himself. Because if you have a linebacker, a wide receiver, and a defensive tackle that we like about equally, the linebacker's not going to go first. Uh, But it's not impossible. But there's also a question of how badly we need these guys. And if we just look at our wide receivers, how many of these guys are signed beyond 2021? Let me read off the list of players. Alan Lazard, Equinemius, Devante, MVS, and Amari Rogers. Oh, Randall Cobb, Malik Taylor. Forgot there was a separate column there. How many of those guys are signed beyond 2021? Amari Rogers, Malik Taylor, and Randall Cobb. That's it. And Randall Cobb has one more year left. So um, beyond 2022, it's Malik Taylor and Amari Rogers who's proven nothing so far. So I'm assuming we're going to sign some of these guys, but if we pay Devontae, that's a massive amount of money, and we already don't have any money. The idea that we're going to sign Devontae and Lazard and MVS and maybe just get rid of Equinemius is very low. I think Lazard has not really proven to do very much for us. Um, I don't know if he stays or not. I know he's also a blocking guy. It's not really worth speculating too much, but point is we have four of our top four wide receivers are done after this year unless we re-sign them, and there's no guarantee that we do. Wide receiver is a massive concern, and I think it may be beyond the point of saying, well, let's just take three mid-round swings again. I don't think we can do that. It's not to say we won't take multiple swings. I think there needs to be in the first two rounds And I know that's not how they operate. It's not about you pick by position, but I do think you prioritize. And I think sometimes you, you stretch it a little bit. Maybe you see somebody there that you like, and ordinarily you wouldn't trade up to go get him because you like your board. But in this situation, you know that if he's gone, you're not going to get a wide receiver and you're going to end up taking somebody that you like, but is not as good and um, is a different position. You know, like we we can wait. We know we're going to get, let's say there's, there's, three teams in front of you, and there's a wide receiver you really, really like, but you got four guys that you like. You can trade up and go get that wide receiver, or you can just sit and let the chips fall where they may, and whatever's left is left. You got a really nice defensive tackle, a linebacker that we like, whatever. We can we can roll with this. Maybe in this situation, we just make a move if we can. But again, the question is who, and that that's tough because I'm still of the opinion they don't get rid of Devontae. Um, for, a, for a lot of reasons. Number one, they just generally don't let guys like this go, and Devontae has not lost a step even a little bit. Um, I just can't think of a time in which you have a top, well, I guess Corey Lindsley, a top prospect at a position that you just let walk. Now, offensive line is a little bit different. They've done that kind of regularly with offensive linemen once they hit that 30-year mark. Um, and Devontae's getting kind of close. I mean, he's I guess he's 29, which means he will be 30. The other issue, though, is you need to have that number one guy. You're not going to draft a guy and just expect him to be that number one guy. You can draft an Alan Lazard. You can draft a Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You can draft an Amari Rogers. These, these guys that, um, they're not your X receiver. They're just your whatever receiver. It's the other kind of receiver. You got your deep threat. You've got your slot guy. You got your gadget guy, whatever it is. But, and, and I think it's easier to draft an MVS replacement or an Alan Lazard replacement than a Devante replacement. And I don't mean it from a talent standpoint, although obviously that's the case. I just mean in terms of their role. You, you can't just draft a guy to be your ex, to, to beat press man coverage and, and be your, your primary target. That's not like a draftable quality. You can draft a deep threat. 
you can draft a you know bigger tight end wide receiver guy. Not that they're easy to find, not that they're necessarily going to be as good, but I, I do think it's a, an easier task. And, and the problem with trying to do this little exercise is I don't know who's leaving to be able to assess who's replacing who. I will say, though, that there's things can change enough between now and draft time to where I don't think there's anybody I can 100% rule out, right? There's not like a number one overall prospect that I can say they're never going to. It's not impossible Garrett Wilson slides a little bit. Does he slide all the way to where the Packers pick? Well, where are they going to pick? We don't know they're not going to pick 23rd. He's sitting at 10. Does that mean he absolutely can't slide to 20th? Of course not. That's silly. But uh, Garrett Wilson, six foot one ninety two, has an eighty four overall receiving grade, which is not super amazing. Uh, one thousand fifty eight yards, fifteen yards per reception, and twelve touchdowns. My current understanding of Garrett Wilson is that he's not really—I don't want to say he's like Amari Rogers because they're very, very different. But it sounds like the way that he's being utilized is they try to scheme him a lot. That is to say, he's not necessarily dominant in terms of press man coverage. Um, he's not very physical, so he kind of gets forced out of bounds a little bit. So it's sort of a thing where they try to create space because he can do magical things in space. But that means he's not an Alan Lazard, and he's not really even an MVS necessarily because he's not just a pure speed threat that's going to kill you down the field. He's used in jet and orbit motion type stuff. Not a ton, but enough. So I don't know. He does do pretty well with contested catches, uh, 61.5%, 8 of 13 I don't know. That kind of gives me some reservations, I guess, about him. I think maybe if you're going to get him, he's going to be your X receiver kind of thing, or at least want him to be. Uh, Chris Olave, six foot one, 188 pounds. He's got 936 yards, 14.4 yards per reception, and 13 touchdowns. Um, my understanding of Olave, even though he's not necessarily built the same way, but if I had to compare him to somebody, it would be Randall Cobb. Um, just a very good, very good route runner, and he's kind of a killer in the red zone. I mean, he's got a ton of touchdowns. 13 touchdowns is a lot. And again, that kind of reminds me of a Randall Cobb where he just puts himself in the right place at the right time all the time. He's not an overly physical guy. He's not a great contested catch guy. I think one of the best things about him is similar to the Ohio State center that we drafted Josh Myers last year is the high IQ. Um, Not only because he plays at Ohio State, but just that is is his style of play. So you're getting a guy that you're going to plug in immediately. And that's going to should be able to um, grasp the offense and on top of having just natural ability is going to be able to excel rapidly. In other words, the exact opposite of a uh, of a project, which is what you need when you're gutting your wide receiver group and bringing people in. Now, again, he's probably going to be gone by the time the Packers pick, probably long gone. And I don't know if they would primarily use him as a slot receiver. I know... Um, the Ohio State Buckeyes do not primarily use him as a slot receiver. He's in the slot about 18% of the time. He's out wide 81% of the time. But at six foot one, 188 pounds, a guy that is a really crisp route runner, I could definitely see him being transitioned into that role. Traylon Burks is—he's um, a monster. He is—he's six foot three, 225 pounds. He has a 90.8 receiving grade, 1,100 yards, 16.9 yards per reception, and 11 touchdowns. If you're looking for a guy that jumps off the charts statistically, it's probably this guy. His grades are through the roof. His height is through the roof. His weight is through the roof. His yards are really high. His yards per reception are stupid, and he's got a billion touchdowns. 
The other crazy thing about Traylon Burks is 68% of the time he's in the slot. Now, I don't know if he would stay in the slot, but if you're looking for a big slot, they don't get much bigger than Traylon Burks. And again, I've asked the question a million times about a big slot, and I don't know that I fully have wrapped my head around the... the, the I don't fully understand it. I mean, I, I get it. I understand the answers that I've been given, but in other words... I don't know how I would determine whether or not he would need to stay in the slot in the pros or if um, if it would be better off just moving him out wide. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing is going to be, well, imagine a six foot three, 225-pound guy going up against, you know, sometimes linebackers, otherwise smaller slot guys. Well, I get that, but you could say that about any big wide receiver. Why don't you just take all your... Why doesn't DK Metcalf just exclusively play in the slot? Anyways... Um, contested catch is not as good as you would expect. It's only 43.8%, 7 of 16 he's come down with. This is actually really interesting reading up on him. Uh, apparently, they use him in a lot of different formations, including H-back, and he's in motion a ton. Everything about this guy is screaming Matt LaFleur. Burks is a frequent pre-snap mover as the team attempts to isolate him on favorable matchups. He's often seen being involved in motions from the slot to the exterior, short motions to the hip of the offensive tackles, and funky orbit motions that place stress on the defense and man-to-man coverage situations. Well, that just leaves us with one question. Can the guy block? And the answer is uh, no, not really. He has a 58 run blocking grade and a zero pass blocking grade. But he's actually never been asked to pass block, but he must have been forced into that situation at one point and um, got a zero grade for whatever <laughs> for, for his efforts. But uh, yeah, six three two twenty five. Now, the, now the thing is, he is asked to run block quite a bit, and he hasn't done a very good job. I, I just, I feel like if you're an NFL coach, whether that's your head coach, your wide receivers coach, your offensive line coach, whatever people, the tight ends coach that would get involved in trying to make this guy an adequate blocker on off the edge or whatever, I feel like they're going to look at a six foot three, two hundred twenty five pound receiver and say, yeah, you're going to get better at this. We're going to make you better at this. Jeez, man, I, I don't know. I, all I know is I know Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur like the guy. I don't know how interested they're going to be in taking him, if he's going to be available, any of that stuff. But the, I, I just, I know I wasn't going to watch highlights because I want to get this podcast out, but I just wanted to get a taste. They had him lined up on the left side. Looks like in line. They started it while he was already in motion. He could have been in the slot. I don't know. But I wasn't even looking at him because I thought that this was a massive tight end that was moving. I should have known because I'm looking for a big guy. But even this guy, I was like, no, that guy's too big. That's not him. So I'm looking down the field. I'm like, that guy's kind of tall. Maybe that's him. They threw it to a guy, I swear it was Mercedes Lewis, a faster Mercedes Lewis. He's not as big as Mercedes. He looks like Mercedes Lewis. It was one of those things he caught it. And I'm like, dude, somebody's about to die. Somebody's going to die. He's going to kill somebody. Just based on that fact, I like this guy. I'm going to watch a couple more and then I'm going to get back to the podcast. But I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I mean, he, he, he's a tight end, basically. He's a really small, but he just, he looks so big. And the crazy thing about it is, they run the similar kind of the, the, I guess we'll call it a wide receiver screen, just so you understand what I'm talking about. I don't know exactly what it was because he's in motion, but he's motioning out of the backfield as the two wide receivers are the blocker. The crazy thing, though, is usually this guy's the blocker, right? He's playing the Amari Rogers role at, what did I say, 6'3", 225? So you got guys out in front blocking and this guy, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyways, that's uh, that's Traylon Burks. He's, uh, he's a fun watch. He might not be the most traditional, like, fun as far as, like, speed, deep thread, all that kind of stuff. But if, if, you're a, if you've are been watching the Packers for a while, it's probably a good chance you're going to have a higher appreciation for him. Just because of what we've seen from guys like Mercedes Lewis and Alan Lazard and that kind of stuff. Uh, Drake London, likewise, is very large. 6'5", 210. Not as bulky, but 6'5", is a massive guy. I saw somebody, um, when, when that thread was brought up about 
which wide receivers you like or whatever. Somebody had made the comment, I don't know how you can watch DK Metcalf and not like Drake London. I think that's more true of the other guy. But anyways, Drake London is big. Um, Again, not a very good run blocker, though, which shouldn't matter, but it kind of does with our offense. 56 overall uh, run blocking grade. However, he has uh, really blossomed as a receiver. He plays for USC, receiving grades over three years at USC, 66-71. So far this year, 91.8. So he has just blown up. Um, 1,084 yards, 12.3 yards per reception, and seven touchdowns. And by the way, he's only played, it looks like a smaller season, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine. Well, maybe not. Um, doesn't look like he's played as many games. No, it's because he hasn't. The other guys are at 13. So I don't know if he got hurt or whatever. Tell you what, though, having watched Drake London, I think I like him more. I mean, as as far as a receiver, not just a gadgety kind of guy. Um, I've read a couple draft profiles. I don't agree with almost anything they've said. Uh, first of all, they said he's primarily used in the slot as a big slot. He's in the slot 12% of the time, so you're an idiot. Um, they said he has really high pad level, which I haven't noticed that. He's when, you know, on contact, he gets down and blasts people. But dude, Drake London's legit. Um, he's got 60, almost 68% contested catch rate, which I saw that just on the little bit of highlights and stuff that I watched. And I, again, I know highlights aren't the main way. To, I'm not trying to scout these guys all day. I'm trying to get a podcast done, but it's it's kind of getting me fired up to go watch these guys a little bit more. I, I really like what he did. Um, I mean, uh, uh, just fighting down the field, hand fighting, not being pushed out of bounds, great on back shoulder throws, which is a timing thing, which is a kind of a veteran thing. I mean, after the catch, he makes guys miss like you wouldn't believe, and he's got speed. I mean, he's got some wheels on him. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I have to look into that a little bit more. I'm, I'm a fan, especially, again, at 6'5", 210. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what his, like, actual official 40 time is. I mean, if he ends up being kind of slow, that's going to be a problem. But um, I am pretty intrigued by Drake London. And, and, again, Drake's sitting at 23. So now we're kind of getting into a more realistic range for where the Packers could be. After that, you got Jahan Dotson. Um, I'm almost not even interested in talking about Jahan Dotson out of Penn State because he's. I really liked KJ Hamler out of Penn State last year. KJ Hamler was a smaller, speedy guy. Um, that's what Jahan Dotson is 5'11, 184. Um, saw a big jump once KJ left. But again, 5'11, 184. I just don't think the Packers are. Again, there's always the Jair situation. Nobody is 100% off the list. It's not as though they would never touch the guy. I just think that they're going to have a lower view because they really like size and he just doesn't have it. This is a team that wants to be bigger and more physical and wants to punch you right in the mouth. And it's working to our benefit. Again, Mercedes Lewis, AJ Dillon, we're trying to get bigger, stronger, more physical. And, um, I do think it's working to our benefit. Now, there is still Randall Cobb on the team who we brought back, which, granted, I think was entirely because of Aaron Rodgers. We never would have done it on our own. Um, trying to think of examples of smaller guys we went out and got intentionally. <laughs> it's hard to think of. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's probably a guy that I'm going to watch and like a lot. He's smaller. He's faster. Um, he gets a lot of separation. That's what I love. I watch a little bit of him. It's hard because he's he, all the all the throws are deep shots, so I couldn't see what he did to get open. But he's, I mean, he is just stupid open. So I'm assuming this guy's got blazing fast speed, and I would really like him. And I don't think there's any chance the Packers end up drafting him. And we'll leave it at that. And I think the final guy we're going to look at, and and that's just for the day. We're not even going to get through offense, but it's good. It'll give us something to do for the rest of the the off season. We'll pick a position and just go through it. But uh, it's Jamison Williams, Alabama wide receiver. Um, biggest concern I have, 2019, 2019 and 2020, he played for Ohio State. 57 receiving grade, 55 
uh, receiving grade. Then he goes to Alabama and he has an 83.4 receiving grade. Um, the concern is, why was he so bad and why is he so good now? Did he just officially break out? Did something click in Alabama or is it because he's playing for Alabama? Is it a system thing? Is it a quarterback thing? Is it a, is it because there's other wide receivers there? Although most of the really, I mean, he's technically the top guy right now, so that'd be hard to believe. The, the somewhat encouraging thing is it kind of started for him week six. He wasn't very good to start the season. He's had, since week 10 at least, four straight really good games. So something has kind of clicked for him. Um, I mean, statistically, grade-wise, everything else, it seems like he's kind of in a groove right now. So maybe he did just grow, but that makes me nervous. Six foot two, 189 pounds, 1,259 yards, 20.6 yards per reception. Gee, I wonder what his main attribute is. And 13 touchdowns, 20.6. I don't know, maybe this is our MVS, man. 6'2", 189. We obviously don't... I, 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 they might have 40-time estimates. But let's see what the uh, the draft folks have to say. An electric, quick-footed receiver, Williams has easy speed to burn in all three areas of the field. There you go. Just like I thought. He's a speed guy. Now, again, do the Packers just want... I mean, especially with the first-round pick. I don't think I want that in a first-round pick. I know some guy, a lot of guys like this have gone in the first round. Some of them have had success, some of them have not. I just have a hard time believing the Green Bay Packers are going to take a first round wide receiver and he's just a speed guy. I just, I can't envision that being real. I mean, they they didn't, they waited until the second round to get guys like Devontae, right? If, if they're going first and second round, you've got to be a very well-rounded receiver. And then maybe he is, but I, I just, again, he's had like four five good games this year and he's never really been good in the past like at Ohio State and his one attribute is speed I, there's I just he feels like a fourth round guy to me I'm not even talking about his talent or I'm just saying just saying that sentence that I just said or those series of sentences about what we know about him that's not a guy you take in the first round or the second round maybe third round if he's like a really good deep threat again somebody's going to go earlier but for the Packers and that's going to make a lot of fans mad because it's like, dude, we need this guy. Just go get him. And they're like, eh, not enough value for me. Um, and again, at 189 pounds, he's pretty small. So there's some talk about him kind of getting pushed off his route. Um, 44% contested catch rate. So, you know, whatever. That's not super great. On top of that, there's a guy who's currently in prison right now. But there was a guy from Alabama who was a speed threat that went early first round. And I don't know that he was that elite of a player, even though everybody said he's going to be the greatest football player of all time or whatever. Like, oh, no, no, this guy's like a legit speed threat, but he's also good at everything else. He, he never really made an impact for the Raiders. I shouldn't say he made, never made an impact, but he, he, I mean, it wasn't like a DK Metcalf, like, dude, how did we miss him? We should have known. It wasn't that kind of a thing. He had a couple good games, couple good plays, whatever, and that's it. And so this is a much lesser version of that. I don't know, dude. I guess I'll, I'm, I'm going to watch him for a second. Maybe, it will, maybe it'll change my tune, although I doubt I'll be able to actually see him. I wonder if we have any tape on the guy. I will say, though... <laughs> I've watched one play so far. My tune is already changing a little bit. There's no question how valuable that MVS role is. Uh, is it first round valuable? I don't know. But just knowing how teams were challenging us and basically saying, you know, we, we dare you to throw deep. If you do find that guy, I'm not saying this is the guy. I'm not saying there's any one guy that you can pick that's just going to kill you down the field. But if you have that guy that can do it and just means defenses can never do that again, they would be suicidal with Aaron Rodgers and, let's say, Jamison Williams to allow or to threaten Aaron Rodgers with, I dare you to throw deep. 
It's, it's critical, and, and it's been successful in the past. And we know because we can see it when Aaron Rodgers is ty- trying to take deep shot after deep shot after deep shot, and it's not working. He's not doing that because he's psychotic. He's doing it because the defense is saying, this is what we're going to give you. Best of luck to you. He's going to take what they give, and it's just a matter of, can we hit it? Can our guy get open down the field, and can I deliver a good ball? And the answer has been recently no. I mean, not super recently. It's been more yes than no, but we've seen where it's no. And you just don't want to get stuck in those positions. The best thing you can do for your offense, and it's a big part of the reason the Packers offense is good when it's good, isn't because they just have quote-unquote good players. It's that they can do anything. You got a task, we got a, we got a tool for that, right? It's not like having the best handy men in the world. It's about having a guy that can do a little bit of everything. I got a plumber over there. I got a carpenter over there. You know, my carpenter's not a good plumber. My plumber's not a good carpenter, but pretty much any issue you have in your house, we got a guy that can fix it. That's when your offense becomes super dangerous. And yeah, just having a, a, a quarterback that is a freak is kind of the thing that ties it all together. So um, again, I have a hard time believing they're just going to go out and just get a speed guy in the first round, which, you know, the hit rate on those guys is so low as it is. You find a guy that runs in the four twos and you should probably run in the four twos away from the guy because more often than not, they're just bad football players. But um, either way, any one trait that you can think of I don't think you take a first-round pick on that trait. You take first-round picks on players that are well-rounded, that you believe can do anything, and, and you know, high ceiling, which he is going to end up being a high ceiling guy because of the speed. The question is all the other stuff. Can he do all the other stuff, or is he just a guy that runs down the field fast? Because you just you don't put a first-round pick on it. So that'll be the question going forward with Jamison Williams, and I'm sure a lot of people will say, oh, no, he can do everything because they just want to believe that he's the guy. I just struggle to believe he's going to end up... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he even falls out of the first or at the very least goes late first, which is probably where the Packers are going to be. But I just don't see the Packers being the team that's going to pull the trigger on that. If you force me to pick a guy right now based on what I saw, it would probably, it's either Traylon Burks or Drake London. Obviously, we're, we're saying Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are off the, off the board here. But even so, um, Traylon Burks makes a lot of sense in terms of not just being tall, but being big and being the, the kind of guy that they want. The biggest question I have, though, is, is he, is he a little too gadgety? Is he actually worth a first round pick? Drake London, I like a lot and I think could make a ton of sense. Um, I think if I, if you force me to, to, to pick somebody, although Traylon Burks has a physical profile that I'm sure the Packers like, Drake London makes a massive amount of sense. He's a giant human being. He's 6'5". He's big. He's physical. He seems to be, from what I can tell, a good route runner. Unbelievable yards after the catch. He seems to have some wheels on him. Um, just from what I've seen, and again, I didn't watch Wilson. I didn't watch Alave. Dawson's got the speed route running, KJ Hamler style. Jamison is just your your straight speed threat. Traylon Burks is just a massive borderline tight end human being, but I think Drake's my guy right now. Just again, haven't seen much, but that that was my one sort of um, I won't say jaw hit the floor thing, but it was close. Especially when I was reading some of the draft profiles and they were they were not very high on Drake London. And so I was expecting a lot of negatives and everything I saw was like, dude, that's, uh, that was impressive. I mean, he's, he's doing like spin moves to get away from guys. And he's, he's, you know, it's one of those things where you got defenders on either side and you think he's going to go down and he squeezes through them, kind of like in the movies where the door's closing and you kind of just squeeze past the doors. He's doing that kind of stuff because he's got the wheels to do it. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to watch a little bit more, but I was I was surprised that he was as good as he was. I was not expect. I thought it would be a six foot because a lot of these tall guys I just don't like. The vast majority, and that's the other thing that surprised me. Anybody that you see that's six foot five, very rarely am I going to like them because usually they get no separation. 
They run on the field. They catch 50-50 balls. And I'm like, that just doesn't work in the NFL. There's like three guys that have made that work in the NFL. And I doubt you're that guy. But um, yeah, I like Drake London a little bit. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Again, I, was, I wanted to go through every position. And then I thought we could do offense. And we got about halfway through offense. But we'll, we'll just keep picking at it. Maybe we'll do a position a day or something on top of everything else we got going on. And I know some of the positions are not as interesting. Maybe we'll just skip some of the less interesting ones like quarterback and running back and (laughs) stuff. But anyways, I got to get going. Uh, You folks have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.